Would you like to try some unconventional meditation techniques? Do you ever wonder how people become shamans? Are you curious about what it's like to experience ayahuasca ceremonies in the Amazon? Do you believe that psychedelics can be healing? In today's episode on Root Awakening, a health podcast, we are talking with Matt Finelli. Matt is a shaman, mystic, and master meditation teacher who has taught meditation all around the world. He has apprenticed a Hivaro shaman in the Amazon rainforest, worked in neuroscience labs studying addiction, and is currently studying for his doctorate in clinical psychology. And in this episode, Matt really dives in deep to the fascinating story about how he went from being raised in the organized Christian religion to becoming a shaman and meditation teacher and what it was like to be studying shamanism in the Amazon and doing ayahuasca ceremonies. Matt has gone from the headspace of wishing the universe would kill him to being in the Amazon rainforest studying shamanism. He has had a beautiful, incredible evolution as a human being. And Matt tells us that meditation saved his life. And he tells us how he discovered meditation, what types of meditation were transformational in his journey. Matt tells us about how using psychedelics in an honorable and ceremonial way completely evolved his spiritual journey. And he tells us about the meditation journey that he takes his clients on. And towards the end of the episode, Matt and I talk about the meditation that he led for the two of us last week, which ended up being an eight-hour experience. If This is such a fucking fun, super connective, chill episode, so let's get into it. This is Root Awakening, a health podcast. My name is Emily Kosick. I am the CEO of Root Awakening and an intuitive health coach, and I help you discover your psychic gifts and become more intimate with yourself along the way. You can follow me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. Root is spelled R-O-O-T. Say hi, tell me what you think about this episode. I am always happy to connect with you. And I serve my clients through intuitive body readings and one-to-one spiritual coaching. My intuitive body readings are one-to-one sessions over Zoom, where I use my third eye to read your body and will listen to what the universe or source or God or spirit wants me to communicate to you about where stagnant energy and trauma is living in your body and what you need to know in order to heal and manifest what you want into your life. And I help my one-to-one clients discover and strengthen their own divine and psychic gifts. And within that process, my clients also build more intimacy with themselves and their relationships. You can book 30-minute or 60-minute readings with me. Head to the link in my bio on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening to book a reading. If you are interested in one-to-one coaching, message me on Instagram or Facebook. My name on Facebook is mkosick. Okay, let's get into this episode with Matt Finelli, shaman, mystic, and master meditation teacher. Folks, this is another first for Root Awakening, a health podcast. This is officially our first in-person podcast episode today. I'm so fired up. The energy is circulating in a really big way here. I am here with Matt Finelli, who is a shaman, a mystic, and a master meditation teacher. Matt has taught meditation all around the world. He has apprenticed a Hivaro shaman in the Amazon rainforest, worked in neuroscience lab studies addiction and is currently studying for his doctorate in clinical psychology. Folks, 
Matt and I were just talking about how he is literally just an entire experience. To be able to interact with Matt is such a special and frankly, a little bit trippy experience. <laughs> he is a, such a special person and every conversation that we have had so far has been a podcast episode, basically. It's been transformative. It's been so, it's been so information filled, energy filled. He is so open and so willing to experience new things. And it's just a very special experience to have a conversation with him. And I'm so excited to be able to record this one. Matt Finelli, welcome to Root Awakening, a health podcast. Wow. <laughs> what a intro. <laughs> so grateful for that and all those kind words. It's very special to be here. And uh, like I was saying, we actually just went on a hike last week and got to share a meditation together. And we ended up hiking around and just frolicking around in the forest for eight hours. <laughs> and <laughs> that caught us both by surprise. And at the end, we were like, damn, that should have all been recorded on a podcast. <laughs> and here we are. And here for another magical experience. Mm. Yeah, Matt and I have a really beautiful connection and it's interesting how time works when we are together. So we'll see how long this episode turns out to be. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, can you, you have such a, as I think all of us would already kind of sense out that you've had an amazing experience to get to the place where you are now a shaman. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Yeah, this is a story that, can go back so far because <laughs> I don't know really know where to to begin there's multiple points in this journey where mm -hmm. people could say well this is the beginning or that's the beginning but I grew up in a very conservative West Michigan household going to church uh, it was a Christian church every two weeks or no twice every week okay. so got a good dose of that every day. And when I was a little, I started having experiences that were like seeing ghosts is the mm -hmm. only way to really describe it. We were in this old house, someone had died in it. And when I was a kid, I would wake up at night and go to the bathroom and I would call I'd tell my mom, the witch lady's back. Oh, it was shit. scary. It yeah. was scary. And I was young and I didn't know really how to deal with that. And at the time they would tell me, you know, it's just an angel. Mm. And I was like, it's not an angel because I'm not <laughs> seeing wings here and I'm not seeing a halo. Like, like the church has told me these angels look. And, and so it was at kind of at that moment I realized that people can see the world in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so it made me think like, what, what is going on here? And that, that kind of got me to the point of like, what is going on? But the church wasn't all bad. There was a, a moment when I was like seven years old. And I remember this story that was being taught. And it was about King Solomon. And Solomon is David's son. And he was said to be the wisest king that ever ruled. Mm -hmm. 
And when Solomon was dreaming one day, he had a dream that God visited him and said, and you've been such a faithful servant to me. I would like to grant you any wish that you could possibly desire. Mm -hmm. And so King Solomon, instead of wishing for fame or wishing for riches or wishing for power, decided to wish for wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that pleased God. And he was bestowed great wisdom. And at that point in time, I was really into Aladdin. Mm. And so as a kid, I was like, oh my God, if I ever come across a magic genie, I know the best wish. Mm -hmm. And, And I realized though, just that little connection kind of set my sights on what's important for me in this life mm-hmm. at like the age of seven. And so I'd always wanted to like figure out how can I become the wisest version of myself? And that has always been a phenomenal target for me. Mm-hmm. And it got me yearning for that deeper meaning and that deeper spirit that's moving through the world and pointed in the right direction. So that was one of the good things that came out of church, even though if you asked my 18 or 19 year old self Mm. in college, when I was going through this big, abruptive, disruptive moment of kind of coming out of the church, he might not say the same thing. And now with some hindsight, I see it was a very valuable thing because it did point me in the right direction but from that point on I started started I met my first shaman when I was 10 years old and she ended up being my best friend's grandma Mm. growing up and I'd see her and his family was always like she's the kooky grandma and I was always like she's the awesome grandma like whoa she like trained with shamans in the in the Andes of Peru. And she'd been down to South America multiple times to train with shamans in Brazil and shamans in the Andes. And she'd come back and it was the first time that I realized as a child that there were spiritual traditions that saw God as the expression of nature Mm. and I was always really connected to nature always the kid on the playground catching all the bugs and flipping over the rocks and climbing all the trees and getting wet in the creek and everything and so when I found that out I was like oh my god this is so cool and this is beautiful and she offered to do my my power totem which Mm. is like my spirit animals Mm. And so she gave me this reading when I was 10. And then I kind of forgot about it because I I didn't really see her very often, only on special occasions. And as I went on, I ended up still leaning on the church for my spiritual expression. But when I was a sophomore in high school, I started noticing that 
all of these prophets that were very close to God would communicate to God through their dreams. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided, oh my God, I need to start diving into dreams. And I've kept a dream journal since 2007. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started kind of diving into kind of these mystical elements of Christianity and then mystical like spiritual expressions and realizing that, hmm, maybe God doesn't always speak through English, but maybe he speaks, maybe it speaks through, through symbolism and through patterns of energy. And then I started noticing patterns in my dreams. For instance, when I was in high school, I had seven dreams in the span of two weeks of a car crap like me crashing a car and i'd be on the road and also and i'd veer off and crash into something or i'd be in a parking lot and every every time i moved the car i'd crash into a car crash into a car crash into a car or i would be driving down the road and i'd crash and they'd reset me on the road drive down the road crash and they'd reset me on the road and at the end of those two weeks my girl my first girlfriend broke up with me and i, I had no idea it was coming And I realized like those were warning dreams. Like I was traveling down a certain road and it was, I was going to crash and it was going to hurt. And it was kind of like forewarning me of that. And then I realized, wow, these dreams, there's something about them. And so that's when I started diving into lucid dreaming, which is, is truly when you start getting into some of the magic of the universe that is, sitting here under all of our noses, but not very many people know about. And for those of us who don't know yet, lucid dreaming is when you realize that you're in a dream and you can interact with it and it feels just like reality, but you can take control of your dream. And I could say, oh, I'm going to take M's hand and we're going to fly off into the sky. <laughs> you know, we could, you know, plant a tree and all of a sudden the tree grows to the moon and we're on the moon now. It's, it's very powerful. I had a lucid dream where I was on a river on a tugboat and this captain came up to me and he's like, he's like, Oh, we only have a little bit longer. I was like, why are we on this tugboat? <laughs> and he was like, Oh, well, we're going on your adventure. I was like, oh no, we're on a we're in a dream right now. And he goes, Oh, you got me. And I was like, Yeah. I was like, how about you pull this boat over? And we pulled this boat over, and the Buddha was meditating on the shore. And I went onto the shore and meditated with the Buddha. And like all of a sudden, this like kaleidoscope amazing imagery started like as we were meditating together and it was like this because I always wanted to meditate in a dream and I was like if I'm going to meditate let's meditate with the Buddha and it was an amazing experience it was so cool but that's the power of lucid dreaming it's it's really cool it takes practice and there's things that you can do to practice techniques that train your mind to become conscious during your dreams and in fact, there's this entire sect of Buddhism called Bon Buddhism that, that studies dreams and uses dreams to, to become enlightened. 
And so that's a really cool and special thing. There's, I read this really good book. I think it was called Dream, Dream Yoga. I'd have to check again, but it was really beautiful. It went into bond. Yoga is a Hindu tradition. So I don't know if that would be the title, but it's upstairs somewhere, but it's, it was really cool and kind of introduced me like, wow, dreams have been so pushed away as like a silly thing in our culture, but other cultures have been really diving into dreams and using them for spiritual enhancement for a very long time. And there's tribes that would all meet in the morning to discuss their dreams, especially if another person appeared in those dreams so that they could communicate and say, hey, you're in this dream. This dream's not just for me, but it's for you as well. Mm. Just cool. It's just another way for community to connect. Mm. So if you're out there and you have a dream Mm. with someone else in it, tell them about Mm. it. Start a conversation. Yes. Yeah. So the dreams got me deeper into the kind of the mystical element. Then when I got to college, I'd always been really fascinated by altered states of consciousness. And I'd always felt extreme guilt for wanting to experience what cannabis felt like. I had never drank in high school or done anything. It was very straight edge. And when I got to college, one of my best friends was like, we're in college. We got to try some alcohol. Okay. Let's try it one time, one time. And I tried it and I realized why would God be upset for me experiencing an altered state of consciousness, which I was enjoying and I wouldn't be doing things that wouldn't do sober. And it started poking holes in this whole thing, uh, this whole structure of Christianity. And I got, I really went into like a rebellious atheism phase for like a year and a half. And I was really upset and I felt hurt. I felt that I had been brainwashed. And then I saw this photo in 2009 of a monk from 1968. It's a very famous photo. I'm sure many people have seen it. It was this Vietnamese Buddhist monk who was self-emulating himself. So lighting himself on fire in protest of the government. And there's a video of it, of him meditating in his monk friends, dousing him in gasoline and lighting him on fire. And he didn't flinch. He didn't scream. He was at complete peace while completely on fire. And I thought, oh my God, what is this? Mm. How is it humanly possible for someone to control themselves to this extent while burning to death? And I, that day after seeing it, I said, I am going to sit down and meditate every day until I understand why, why monks do it. Because up until that point, the church had told me that meditation was, was people talking to the devil. Mm. And, and now that I was out of the church, I was like, oh, now I got to explore this and see what it's really about. So it took me about, I, I literally knew nobody 
who meditated in my life. And so I just sat down. And the first time I sat down, I noticed my mind was running at a hundred miles an hour and just constant thoughts, constant thoughts. And I was like, Oh, I can't do this. This, what is, what am I even doing here? I'm just, my mind is going crazy. And over like over the period of 10 days, I did it every day on the 10th day, kind of briefly looking online and like, try, try to just like watch your breathing, try to, and it was very kind of base level advice. But I ended up kind of having my eyes open and I was looking at this point on the wall. And as I looked at this point on the wall, I was relaxing everything. And I noticed that there was a moment where I was just looking at the point on the wall and there was nothing else going on. And it was like this epiphany, aha, I glimpsed it. The mind can quiet down and it felt so peaceful. And I, I, it hooked me at that point and I just dove dope deep and I was reading as much as I could about meditation diving into eastern philosophers and and eastern gurus and teachers throughout time and history and just reading the quotes from the wisest people in history and and then all these synchronicities started happening in my life which was crazy and I started noticing that like my thoughts when I, because now that I was aware of the thoughts in my mind through my meditation practice, I was aware that the thoughts in my mind were tending to preface things that were about to happen in my life. Like for instance, I would see someone, I'd have like a really good friend that I hadn't seen in like six months and I would think, oh my God, I should reach out to them again. And then like an hour later, they would call me on the phone. Mm. and or there was a person who was like my best friend I hadn't seen him since last semester and I was thinking about him on the bus and all of a sudden he gets on the bus and I was like what Mm. and that was happening all the time and the synchronicities continued and continued and I started diving into all of these different spiritual traditions but I was also staying rooted in academia I was working in a neuroscience lab and kind of really looking at how the brain is working. And there was this one moment where I was, I really wanted to meet a monk and I was practicing visualization meditations at the time. So I was visualizing meeting a monk and experiencing the like excitement of, oh, there's a monk, I get to ask him anything I want. And really practicing building that energy inside, like the moment I was going to meet them. And I think within a week and a half or two weeks of doing that, I was walking through campus. It might have even been a week. Like during this time period, I was like, oh, I was walking through campus and there was this Harry, Harry Krishna monk mm. walking in Michigan in a mm. West Michigan <laughs> campus, just completely Christian area. <laughs> and he was wearing his whole garb and... I locked eyes with him and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I've been meditating, hoping to meet a monk. And he goes, well, here I am. <laughs> and, and he goes, I have a bunch of free books I'd like to give you. 
I was like, what? And one of them was the Bhagavad Gita and one was some other Vedic literature. And I dove in and that is when my paradigm really shifted. And I realized that Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism aren't religions like we know of Christianity or Judaism to be these, you know, Christianity really asks you to just believe, like whenever I had questions in the church, they'd always say, well, just have faith. And Mm -hmm. that meant, it didn't mean the faith that I know it today, but it meant just stop asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was that just made me so upset when they'd say that. And what I realized with Hinduism, number one, was that, you know, the church had always said, oh, Hindus believe in a million different gods. And, and that's so far from the truth. They actually have a holy trinity, just like Christianity, but it's called the Trimaruti. And it consists of Brahman, which is, you could say is the ultimate God of all gods. It is like God in the Christian sense, but not in the Christian sense in any way either. Could say that Brahman is more like space, the space that contains all of life. And it is like the no thing is the nothing, but it is this, it is something, it's space. And it's kind of like a blank canvas for anything to be drawn upon. It's the ultimate reality. And within that, Trimurti is uh, Vishnu, which is the order of the universe, and Shiva, which is the masculine destructive energy of the universe. And neither of them are good or bad or good and evil. Both of them have those elements within them. So you could see order being oppressive in a way if, you know, institutions like the church are very ordered, so much so that they're suppressing spiritual expression. Or we could say destruction is good when it comes to things that are no longer serving their purpose in this world. And so it's that balance of Vishnu and Shiva of order and destruction that is worshipped as forms of Brahman. So everything is ultimately Brahman in disguise. They see the world and life as a cosmic drama. It's essentially simulation theory, but the the old school simulation theory. Simulation theory is essentially modern Hinduism. which is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that kept on going and going. And I started realizing that people in Hinduism had been using cannabis in a spiritual sense for 4,000 years. And they have an entire festival out there. That's slipping my mind right now. What the festival is, but there's just, ganja everywhere and they're using it for spiritual purposes and then I started studying Buddhism, Taoism, 
and paganism and then it led me back to spiritual shamanism and I was taking all these aspects of all these traditions and trying to build a practice and I was kind of secularly learning meditation and I said I wanted to I read really early don't pursue meditation for enlightenment because if you pursue meditation for enlightenment you're aiming for a target you know nothing about mm. and you'll end up hitting the shadow of the target instead of the actual thing so you can't have a concept of enlightenment you just have to do meditation for the goodness in and of itself mm. so i really let that go right in the beginning once i read that i was like okay i'm not i'm just going to stay secular anyway so let's just keep it that way and that ended up helping me a ton in the long run something i didn't uh foresee coming and and when i dove into into shamanism again i was 20 years old now and i really wanted to see what my spirit animals were so i called up therese my original shaman teacher and she said i said hey therese i have been on this huge spiritual journey recently and i've been diving into shamanism again i would love to do my spirit animal readings again could you tell me how to do the ceremony and she did it in this tarot card fashion where there's a, an animal for every sacred direction so the south the west the north the east the below the above mm. the within and then there's the left which is your power animals your left and your right so the left is your feminine your right is your masculine and with those seven in the beginning you kind of do it in this tarot fashion where the universe is revealing these things and then you pick your power animals and i was like i love to do this again can you tell me how to do the ceremony and she goes you know matt you're only supposed to do that ceremony one time in your life and i was like oh shoot mm. and she goes and i've kept that reading of yours for over 10 years mm. and i was like whoa and and so she gave me the reading from when i was 10 years old and i looked back through and i had an armadillo in my south a wild boar in my west a mountain lion or a cougar in my north a whale in my east mm. a turtle like a sea turtle in my above mm. an alligator below a wolf within mm. and the two animals that i chose when i was 10 years old for the power animals was the lynx mm. in my feminine mm. and the jaguar in my masculine Ooh. and when i looked into the symbolism of all these animals i found out that the lynx was the keeper of hidden secrets mm. and the jaguar was the mark of the shaman <laughs> yes <laughs> wow and that is because in a lot of shamanic traditions especially in the amazon the shamans are said to be shapeshifters that will shapeshift into jaguars mm -hmm. and they also have found jaguars eating ayahuasca vines down in the amazon and it's like their catnip and they'll mm -hmm. just 
have these little jaguar adventures. Damn. Yeah. And, uh, and they also can swim and they can climb trees and shamans. And obviously they're masters of the jungle. So they can go through all of these different realms. Mm. And the shamans are said to be people who are bridges between the physical and the energetic worlds. And so these shamans are bridges. And like, I want to be a bridge between, you know, the spiritual world in our community and the academic world in our community, which is why I'm trying to get my doctorate right now. And bridging all of these worlds is what's going to bring the world together mm-hmm. into unity. So I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And since I was in middle school, I had always wanted to go down to the Amazon. I read this book and I was always watching Discovery Channel. And I was like, I want to go live in like a tribal village in the Amazon and apprentice a shaman. And so that had been something that I'd always wanted to do. And when I was in college and developing these meditation practices, there was this, I realized that I was actually building, I was kind of architecting my mind space during during meditation. Mm -hmm. I was literally developing blueprints and then building energetic structures in my mind. And one of the energetic structures that I was building was like in 2009, before like a lot of this like higher self stuff happened, like I was building this, this being called my highest wisest self. And whenever I'd have a question in my life that I didn't know what to do, I would get into my place where nothing was happening, where I would, my mind was clear, my body was clear. And then I would sit and I would ask the question, kind of like dropping a rock into a still pond and the ripples would ripple out and then it would still. And then suddenly thoughts start popping into the mind, typically answering the question. And when I would ask, you know, when's the right time for me to go down to the Amazon and apprentice a shaman? I would always get this response back that said, you will know when to go down when there appears to be no other path forward. I was like, wow, this -hmm. was over the span of seven years or something like this, Mm. maybe even long, actually, yeah, seven years that this was happening. And I'd ask that question a lot and I would always get that answer. And I was like, geez, that is an ominous answer. Mm. (laughs) What do you mean no other path forward? And so when I started diving into cannabis, I started using it like a college kid uses it where I was like, whoa, this is cool. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started realizing in shamanism that there was this aspect where they called profane and sacred use. There's a dichotomy between the two. Mm-hmm. They say everything is a medicine and everything is a poison. And there's also when you use plant medicines, there's profane use and there's a sacred use. And so I started diving into this and and diving into what my relationship was with cannabis. And I realized that when I 
when I used it in spiritual context, I would go into the deepest meditations of my life. And then I started, oh, started a meditation club on, for the campus, for the university called the Meditation Nation. <laughs> and started bringing people and showing them the meditations I was doing. And then, you know, some friends and I would do some of these cannabis meditations, but it was very underground because at the time it was very much illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, thankfully it's legalized now, yeah. but they were very underground mm-hmm. and it was very scary. I remember being very paranoid of getting, I had friends that got arrested mm-hmm. and it was scary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I also knew that this was something that was deeply spiritual and if we live in a, in a country where we have the freedom to spiritually express ourselves, then this is something that is essential to that expression. And I had to keep going, even though the laws were incorrectly structured and, and needlessly oppressive. Mm-hmm. So... I kept building this practice in the underground, showing as many people as I could. And every time that I did this, I'd get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And that my, my, the way that I taught it was better. I was also learning while I taught it. Like, so I would be learning like, oh, wow, that was a better way to communicate this aspect of the meditation. And the last mm-hmm. one, and it's so cool how the practice has developed over over 12 years now. And, and to fast forward this long story, just a little bit, I started modeling all over the world. And during, I was, while I was traveling around the world, I was developing these regenerative mental health communities. So just trying to get as many people who were interested about meditation to meet up and experience these meditations. And I was just teaching any opportunity that I could. And I was dating this beautiful girl for a total of six and a half years. We broke up twice. The first time was five and a half years in. I was in New York at the time. And we had to sign in New York. It was our second time trying to get out and sign there. And I had always been hesitant about going to New York because I'm such a nature guy. And, and I don't know if anyone has been to New York that's listening, but there's not a lot of nature in New York. (laughs) And so I felt very in a city box an urban box. And when we got there, I was like, okay, there's amazing parts about New York. The people are amazing. It's so fun but nature is such a beautiful release and it's such a healing space. And I went through this week of meeting with agencies. This one guy, absolutely, this agent, just so hurtful, needlessly cruel, Mm -hmm. ripped me apart in front of like 14 different models or Mm -hmm. something. Being like, oh, you're can't believe you present yourself like this you fat like and I was like in oh my god yeah Yeah. everybody Matt is still 
extremely model-like, like just <laughs> a perfect human being. And, and so I was like, oh my God, this was too intense here. This guy is so cruel. And he's like, I'm doing this for you. It was like so vicious. And, and, and he, he literally said, if you ever get signed in New York, you can come back here and spit in my face. That's like literally what he said to me. I was like, wow. And I did end up getting signed in New York the third time I went back. But I didn't spit in his face because, you know, we're only showing love out here. Yeah. But it was crazy. And so then I, I didn't get signed. We we're living in this literal closet essentially with that was just big enough to fit a futon a broken futon (laughs) we were so poor and i didn't get signed so i thought my career was over then my girlfriend told me that she wanted to experience what being single was like because we had been dating for so long throughout our 20s and then within that week started dating another guy (laughs) another model and uh, And we were still living together on that futon because we were financially like needed to. And I had less than $160 in my bank account. So I ran out of money. I thought my career was over. I lost the girl that I wanted to marry and start a family with. And I went into the deepest, darkest depression ever. And it was so challenging. And I ended up going to, you know, I would be walking around New York and I remember just like standing at the train station and I'd see this image as the train was pulling up of some guy coming up behind me and just shoving me in front of the train. And when I'd be walking down the street, I I saw, I remember seeing this, little candlelit vigil of someone who had passed away. And as I walked past it, I saw a vision of the candle tipping over and engulfing the ground in flames and then engulfing me in flames. And it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself, but I just wished the universe or the world would kill me Mm -hmm. because I didn't see any hope. I didn't see like, there was just, I lost everything, it seemed. And honestly, my meditation practice saved my life. There was uh, the guy that, that my ex started dating, his name was Clark. And I was just like, Clark, Clark. <laughs> and I just repeat that in my head, like Clark, fucking Clark. Like, I was like, oh my, and like, we would be like, you know, in bed, sleeping, all of a sudden her phone would ring. And she'd go out into the living room and I could hear her just like giggling and laughing with Clark on the phone. And I was like, bye, this hurts so bad. And, and, and then there was this, this moment where I, I was meditating and I was like, who's getting burned by this anger you have for Clark? <laughs> is Clark feeling any of this or is it just you? <laughs> And I was like, oh my, it is just me. And they go, why, why don't you like Clark? And I go, well, I think it's because I love Katie. And 
he's taking that, taking her away from me. And he goes, well, if you love Clay, Katie, what, do you, what are the things that you love about Katie? And I like thought about some things. And this was me having a conversation with higher self. And, and higher self went, if you love Clay, Katie, one of the things you love about Katie is that she has a very good eye for good people. And in fact, Katie probably has a, has a taste, a taste in guys. And so she thought you were hot stuff for five and a half years, really loved spending time with you. Now she thinks Clark is, is this good looking guy and has a good personality. And she only spends time with good people she doesn't just hang out with bad people Mm. and if and that means if you and Clark had met under different circumstances you probably have a lot in common you probably have most things in common in fact you'd probably be really great friends if you'd met under different circumstances and I was like oh my god that's so true and so freeing. And at that moment, I was released of my animosity towards Clark. I felt like good for them, you know? Like, I love Katie, so I just want her to be happy if she's with me or without me. Just I want to make sure that she's living in her authentic happiness, and that's what's beautiful. And so that was very freeing. And then I was stuck with this, you know, wanting to die thing. <laughs> and it was so heavy. And I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because I didn't want to get that on them. It was so hard. And for anyone out there who's going through something like that, talk to people about it. I know it's challenging, but there's more people in your life that that care so much about you more than you'd know and more than you think. And there's so many people going through those kind of motions right now, but this is something that helped me in this moment. So when I was talking to my highest wisest self at this moment of darkness, and I'm talking the darkest of darkness, when there was, I had no money in my bank account, no relationship left, I had no career. I was in New York City that was hemorrhaging my remaining money. And I said, my highest wise self said in this meditation, if you are so brave to wish death upon yourself, be brave enough first before you die to live your wildest, wildest dream out and pursue that wildest dream out 100% with no, no holding back, giving it 100% so much that you're putting your entire life on the line to do it. And if the pursuit of that dream, like balls to the wall, 100% effort, if the pursuit of that dream kills you, then you get the dream that you were originally wished for, which was to die. But if in the face of all of that, 
you power through and you and you live out that dream, then you just lived out your wildest, wildest dream. And that might give you some, some new vibrancy in life because there's so many things we're holding out on. There's so many things we've been stuck in a job or working that nine to five for so long. And then suddenly we realize I haven't been happy in forever. And I don't think I'll ever be happy again. And all of a sudden these things spiral in our minds and there's this internal critic that is being super judgmental that is thinking, oh, look, you're faking your happiness. Oh, look, like no one really cares about you. You know, those, mm-hmm. those really, really hurtful inter- internal narrators. If we were to just quit our job and say, well, if I die from quitting my job, then I get the death that I wish for but the job has been holding you back from taking that vacation that you always wanted to go on or anything. It could literally be anything. Just go do that anything first. That thing that's always been like, oh my God, if nothing matters now and I'm going to die, what's the last bucket list thing I want to do before I go out? Go do that thing right now and just watch what happens because that desire is in there for a reason. The moment that I realized that, I said, well, what's, the, what's your wildest, wildest dream? And within, I had that epiphany moment of that message, my highest, wildest self had always been telling me, when there appears to be no other path forward, you will know when to go down to the Amazon and apprentice a shaman. And I go, this is it. This is the ominous moment that had always been talked about. And I ended up, this is again, just the synchronicities of all of this happening are out unbelievable really. I had this epiphany moment. I go, oh my God, I'm just going to stop everything and go down and live in the Amazon jungle an apprentice of shaman. And two days later, I get a call from my agent in Miami. And he said, Hey, Matt, remember that guy who hadn't paid you in a year and a half? Well, he just paid you. I'm sending a $4,000 check your way. I was like, what? Oh my God. Literally was getting into fights with Katie about buying toilet paper Mm -hmm. because I was like, I literally, Katie, I have $160 in my bank account. Like, can you just get this toilet paper? I don't know if I'll be able to eat within Mm -hmm. the next week and a half. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, amazing. And I was like, okay, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of New York. Let's go. I end up calling one of my best friends. We've been friends for over 11 years. She means the world to me. Her name's Kaylee Carlson, one of the most badass people on the planet. She just is the most adventurous person I've ever known. She lived in a tent in Australia for nine months just so that she could rock climb and highline. Mm. She last year or two years ago shot a documentary in Jordan they shot a documentary of her climbing a mountain and paragliding off of it. Mm-hmm. She's just an absolute badass to the bone. So I called her up and I was like, Kaylee, I need to go on an adventure. Where are you going next? And she goes, well, I'm right about to go to Banff in British Columbia. 
and we're going to go rock climbing. And then I was thinking about driving my car all the way from Canada to Patagonia and like stop in Peru. And, and I was like, oh my God, I want to go to Peru. I was like, I have to go. We have to go. Like, this is amazing. And so for six months started planning this epic trip, this drive down, we were going to go to Burning Man before. Mm. And, and all of these synchronicities just started happening. I got in touch with shamans down there. And I was like, I'd like to apprentice you. I will give you all of my money. (laughs) Just like, I want to just stay down there for as long as I can. Mm. And they, uh, one guy in Terrapoto finally did. And in leading up to this trip, you know, I was teaching as much as I could, as much as I could all the time. And I ended up telling my friends, you know, leading up to this trip that I'm doing this trip. And I was like, I can't wait to apprentice this shaman. Like, I'm just going to live in the Amazon, be a shaman. Like, this is fucking awesome. And these, these people. So like one of these people, I was in Chicago at the time. He goes, this was this military veteran that I had been working on. He, he had a lot of PTSD. We did these meditations and it just changed his life. And now he is a yoga teacher. He oh, like, yeah. And he does so it cool. for like, he, but he still keeps his military vibe. But oh, like, he I was guess. always like against hippie shit (laughs) and now he's like full on has his own like gym which is like a yoga based gym it's so cool but he goes you know Matt I think you're gonna go down there and you're going to realize that you've been a shaman this entire time I was like oh that's nice thank you but you know I'm gonna go down this is like gonna be a huge moment for me and he goes dude I'm serious and I was like thanks man and then about a month later, I'm with another friend. I'm telling them about this, this experience. And she goes, you know, Matt, I think you're going to go down there and you're going to realize that you've been a shaman this entire time. And I was like, whoa, that is so crazy. Because one of my other friends just told me that. And she goes, I'm serious. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, maybe. Like, that's pretty cool. And then I'm at Burning Man and I meet this guy who's in our group that one of my friends, that Kaylee Carlson brought, who's a badass rock climber. His name's Scott. Scott is a legend and super spiritual guy, just free spirit, just climbs everywhere and just does exactly what he wants all the time. It's amazing. And we were having this huge heart to heart, like he's like my spirit brother kind of moments mm-hmm. that we were having. And we ended up, we were in this temple and I had just taught a meditation. And I'm like, oh man, Scott, I cannot wait. I'm right about to go down to the Amazon. I'm gonna apprentice a shaman. I have it all lined up. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, dude, I just, I'm feeling this intuition right now telling me like that I think you're going to go down to the Amazon and realize you've been a shaman this entire time. And I was like, Oh my God, dude, two other people have said those exact same things to me. This is so crazy. 
And, and he says, dude, like, seriously, like, look at the things you've been doing. And I was like, I know, I guess like, yeah, you're kind of right. And I end up, unfortunately, like Kaylee's dad died in an abrupt car accident right before we were about to go and she had to cancel. And I was like, you know, I obviously consoled her and, but then I was like, I, I still have to go. And so I ended up going down by myself. And so I went down and I stayed with this friend that I knew from high school who was living in Lima. And we ended up, I stayed with her and her boyfriend and we just traveled me and her for a week. She was showing me all these beautiful sacred spots in Peru. And then I went down to Cusco and had this incredible experience down there. And I had been planning to apprentice this shaman for two months in, in Terrapoto. And two days before I'm about to go into Terrapoto and I've been planning this for six months, I'm talking to this local in Cusco who says, oh, where are you going? And I was like, I'm so excited to go into the Amazon. I have this whole thing lined up with this shaman in Terrapoto. He goes, oh, you'll really like it in Terrapoto. I was like, oh, that's great. And he's like, yeah, it's like, it's actually not that technically the Amazon, it's the Highland jungle. And so you, you know, there's not a lot of mosquitoes up there. It's like higher altitude. And I was like, I had always dreamed about being in like the thick of the Amazon and I get to write this story one time. Mm. And so I decided at the last second to forfeit $500 worth of airfare and six months of planning with this shaman in Terrapoto. And I flew back to Lima and flew to Iquitos which is the shamanic hub down in Peru. And I just told myself, I'm going to walk the earth until I find a shaman. And that's just going to be put in my lap, just faith walk. Mm. And I walked around for five days. And I, one of the guys from the hostel, I had asked like, can you keep an eye out for any shamans that you find reputable? And he goes, yeah, yes, I will. He contacts me five days later and he goes Mateo the there's a man from a nearby village he's he's coming three and a half hours by boat from mm -hmm. this small jungle village and he's in town just for today to get supplies for the village like you need to contact him mm -hmm. I was like can you bring him here he goes yes 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 and I meet this guy who comes in with the most giant smile mm. his name's jose william and he he i i asked him he only spoke spanish and quechua and i was teaching myself spanish at the time and i ended up actually coming up with this brilliant way to learn a second language i was like fluent in spanish by the time i got out of the jungle it was awesome mm. but we ended up doing this uh, conversation there was this german girl that i was spending time with who spoke better spanish than me and she helped me initially communicate with him and we ended up like he sang these icaroses which are these shamanic songs these healing songs that are so beautiful 
And uh, he says, you know, I'm going back tomorrow or in two days I'm going back or something like that. So if you want to come with me, you're more than welcome. And I was like, amazing. Mm -hmm. And then there was two people from the hostel that got word. One was from Turkey and one was from Holland. And they're like, oh, can we come along? I was like, sure. (laughs) And so us three went into the jungle and it was a two-day journey to get there. We saw pink dolphins on the way. Oh Absolutely my God, incredible. what? Yeah, incredible. And they're super rare in the Amazon. You no have to kidding. go like to the super rural pink parts dolphins. of the Amazon. Yeah, it was so incredible. We have, like no idea what's out there. You know what I mean? Not like there's all. just, there's so amazing. Yeah. And so we ended up going through this entire journey to get there. And Saba from Turkey, she did an ayahuasca ceremony and they say that ayahuasca is like a lifetime of therapy. Mm-hmm. It's super intense. They also call it the vine of the dead. And it is their way that they've been brewing these two plants with the active ingredients that is dimethyltryptamine, DMT, And it takes a DMT experience when smoked, which is usually only 15 minutes. And and it makes it a six hour to eight hour experience, which is unbelievable. You literally get the veil of reality lifted. You'll talk to spirits. You'll see, like I saw my grandparents who had passed away my grandpa actually delivered me a message that I told my father that ended up resolving a four and a half year rift between him and my aunt Mm. it was incredible things happened I went through three ceremonies that simulated me dying of a heat stroke which was so intense and I've experienced like the highest joys So Saba went back after a week and the other guy from Holland lasted two weeks and then he ended up going back. Mm -hmm. And so then I was finally in the Amazon alone in this village, just me and the shaman. And it was an incredible experience. There's so much this story. I'm writing a book on it. I'm 60 page, 69 pages in. But I realized that I had more living to do in order to finish the, finish the story. Mm. And it was such an incredible journey. And I ended up leaving the journey, leaving the ceremony because one of my final ceremonies showed me that I, mother ayahuasca said, you've been a shaman this entire time. (laughs) And uh, then the shaman that I was working with got sick like gut-wrenching pain, writhing in bed. Oh my God. And and I ended up doing a ceremony on him. He was in bed all day. I ended up doing a ceremony on him. And then and within the hour, he was up and completely oh good again. Oh my God. Yeah. And so that, that was when I was like, it's time to leave. I thought I was going to live down here. And it said, you need to bring this knowledge back, this wisdom back to the West, to the people who need it. And the people can, can relate to you 
better mm. because you're from there mm. and they can relate to the plants that you're using because those are the plants they're familiar with. And so my, my mission has been, you know, how do we, how do we unify a country that is so obsessed with individualism <laughs> and identity and small self-identity we're obsessed with this small self-identity and we're losing our identity with mother earth mm. living it's the living being that we're all a part of so that's that's a kind of the abridged version even though that took so long. <laughs> oh my God, but it's so beautiful. And like you said, you're writing a book, Matt. So like, this is a story that you're taking us on. It's an audio book that you're taking us on about your your experiences and and how you got here. And everyone's going to be so into it. And I love, I love hearing this story so much. Mm -hmm. um, so now can you tell us, after you've had all these experiences and awakenings and you've been on your your journey to get you to where you are today. What does it look like to, to work with you as a meditation teacher? Yeah, well, one of my favorite things to do is getting the community together to, to really connect with each other. And meditation is about you know, connecting to ourself, our true self within. And what we find is that is that our idea of self and our identity is so much bigger mm -hmm. than what we had originally thought. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, when I say like point to your body, you everybody just points, you know, at their physical human form here. But as we meditate and continue to meditate, we start to realize certain things and we realize that our version of self is, is we've been trapped to, into think, we've been tricked into thinking that, that our self is much smaller than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So there's this really cool, like, this really cool term called the sensorium, our sensorium. So it's this collection of all of our senses so the collection of all of our senses could also be seen as a body in and of itself. So whenever we look at our hand, we identify our hand as part of our body because it's connected to us, mm -hmm. right? It's connected to us. And if we chopped our hand off, it like wouldn't really be our hand mm. in many people's ideas. Mm. Like they're like, oh, well, it was my hand, but now it's right. dead. Now right. this thing over there. Mm. But when we connect to anything, it becomes a part of ourselves. When we connect two Legos together, it's one chunk, right? Mm -hmm. When we connect and in a, a bunch of Legos together, it becomes a house. You know, when we connect a bunch of pieces of wood together, we build a, a cabin, mm -hmm. you know, and now it's not just wood, it's a cabin. It's a one thing. Mm -hmm. And so when we connect things together, it becomes one thing. And what people think about connection, it's, it's very different because 
once like if we hold hands mm. suddenly we're connected and now we're like a double human hybrid mm. being but when we actually like look at each other we can connect to things just visually mm -hmm. we could look at this painting over here and be like oh wow wow i'm moved because i'm looking at this painting mm -hmm. now if i wasn't looking at the painting i wouldn't be connected to it mm -hmm. through my sight but because mm -hmm. i'm connected connecting to this painting through my sight i'm now able to take information from this painting and put it inside it's it's like once i look at the painting it becomes an aspect of my being or an aspect of my sensorium. And then that information is actually inside me. Mm -hmm. Whether I spend the time to look at it and really take it in or not, it, it becomes in that moment that I'm looking at it, part of the sensorium that I'm living in. Mm. Everything that we're hearing, we're also connected to. And it's part of our sensorium. And our sensorium is like this body of all of our senses it's like we are this energy body and the sensorium really looks at this energy body. It looks at the physical body and it says we are layers. We are not just this physical thing, but we are a layer of, of many bodies into one. Mm. And in the Vedic literature and Hinduism, I mean, the yogic culture, they say we have five bodies and one of them is Anamaya Kosha, which is the food body. Mm. They call it the food body instead of the physical body because mm. they say that our food body is, a, is an amalgamation. It's a collection of all of the foods that we've ever eaten in our life. Mm. It's an accumulation of all of the foods that we've ever eaten. And then we have the Manamaya Kosha, which is our mind body, which is a, an accumulation of all of the things we've ever thought. All of the things we've ever thought mm -hmm. have accumulated to create our mind body. And our Pranamaya Kosha, which is our energy body, which is an accumulation of all of the energy, all the sensations, mm -hmm. all of the things that we've ever felt. Mm -hmm. And then we have our bliss body, which when all of those three things are aligned in our alignment, like the, the Anamaya Kosha, the Manamaya Kosha, the Pranamaya Kosha, when those three bodies, which are comprise our physical body, are in alignment, we get a bliss body. And this bliss body is like this metaphysical body mm -hmm. that fills us up with bliss like this yeah <laughs> like it's our joy to our deepest depths of joy and then there's the non-body which is essentially like brahman mm -hmm. the brahman which is the the no thing mm -hmm. the nothing body the space mm -hmm. for it all the to to hold itself mm -hmm. and so when i'm working with people What's really cool is when I'm doing privates with people, we get to dive into exactly what they are working on in their mm -hmm. spiritual uh, path because so many people are in different spots. Some people, they've never meditated before. So they need to build some base into what it is. Mm -hmm. And then other people have been meditating for 
many years, mm. but they find themselves still in certain ruts or maybe they've been practicing in a way that is very dogmatic and it's not allowing them to expand their practice anymore. So they're stuck in this familiarity. So what's nice is I have incorporated, you know, neuroscience, hypnotism, Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, shamanism, all of pagan traditions, like all of these different aspects into one practice to figure out what are the things that work for each person. And some of the things that work for you might not work for another person. Mm -hmm. And so by knowing all of these different techniques, we can dive into all of these, all of these really exciting pathways, but it takes some courage at times because it's not all light and love, you know? Mm -hmm. They say a tree can only grow to heaven if the roots reach down into hell. Mm. And so we have to we have to see our shadow in order to shine our brightest light. Mm -hmm. And so that's like very special. The practice, it takes a lot of courage. And we dive into all of these aspects of ourself and reveal these layers of ourself that constantly evolve and grow. And it's super exciting because then we, we get to take these practices not only in just our, our meditation practice, but the point of the practice is to take that that meditation, like the space that we cultivated mm -hmm. and not end it when, the, when we say namaste at the end, but to actually stand up with that energy and take it with us throughout the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So with meditation, I show that. I also show people where it's, where it's legal to how to use plant medicines in a spiritual and sacred way mm. and showing them the dichotomy between profane and sacred use. How do we build a relationship with a plant teacher like cannabis who can show and reveal amazing things in our spiritual practice and can kind of shift us into a perception that is really, really deep and profound but if we've been using it in a different context, we might not have realized that we could use it in that form or tool. Mm. So I'm really excited about what the future holds for the legalization of cannabis, but also psychedelics as a whole, mm -hmm. so that people have access to exploring their own consciousness. Mm. We, as a country in the United States, pride ourselves on being the freest country on the planet, but we have, you know, more people in jail than any other country. We have 1% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison population. Mm. And part of that is because we are throwing people in jail for, for exploring substances mm -hmm. to to either self-medicate themselves when they're in pain or they're spiritually using these substances mm -hmm. for for spiritual reasons which mm -hmm. is really upsetting to me and i think it's extremely 
dangerous for the government to be telling people what they can do with their own consciousness and how they want to express themselves spiritually. So mm-hmm. I'm really hoping as more and more evidence shows like from, from programs like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies is coming out with brilliant studies that the FDA is now fast tracking because mm-hmm. of the work, the hard work that they've been doing in the face of all the stigma and the taboo nature of it all in academia, they found that one dose of psilocybin mushrooms can, can cure depression for up to eight months mm. at a time, chronic depression, mm. meaning it's been going on for over a year. Mm. And depression is a killer. It's not just about being sad, but it often leads to suicide attempts, which is really sad and that doesn't just affect the person who died but it affects everyone in their lives it affects their family it affects uh, their friends and so anything that can help with that we need to shake the stigma off and realize that there is extreme medical benefit with this Mm -hmm. they've also found that mdma is extremely extremely helpful when it comes to veterans who have post-traumatic stress and they come home from after the war they don't know how to deal with it and they found just a a few experiences with mdma can completely free them of their ptsd so the fda is fast tracking these substances so that they can be used therapeutically Mm. which is so exciting and uh, they've also found that ketamine is a extremely, extremely powerful medicine for depression as well. And people with long-term treatment-resistant depression have been using ketamine and experiencing tremendous results because of it. So it's all extremely exciting. California, I believe, just decriminalized all psychedelics. So they won't be throwing people in jail anymore for exploring their consciousness or treating themselves when they're suffering. And that's really encouraging. And I'm hoping maybe with the legalization, the federal legalization of cannabis, maybe they'll throw some of these other substances in with that legalization and make a more freer society, make a society that is, that is courageously exploring ways to dive into their consciousness and and reconnect with society in a different way because these substances aren't just trippy and they aren't just like spiritually expansive but it also shows the the way life is so interconnected and unified Mm -hmm. it really i tell people it's like seeing the world through the eyes of a child again Mm -hmm. So it's really, really beautiful. And I'm, I'm really uh, optimistic about what the future holds when it comes to these, uh, these substances and these mm-hmm. medicines, these profound, masterful medicines. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. And I think it's such a good testament to how we can open up our minds to new fucking experiences without judgment. Right. Like 
what's available to us and how we have been raised in this society to have certain judgments against doing something, certain substances, certain practices. It, we don't have to put ourselves in a box with what society tells us is true. What society tells us is true isn't necessarily and probably isn't true for us. <laughs> um, so we have new adventures available to us that can help us, can help our friends, and that can just expand our awareness if we do our fucking research, whatever kind of research makes sense to us. Talk to someone that you trust. Research something online. How, watch a documentary. However you want to research something, do your own research. Figure out what feels good to you and experience what feels right to your soul. And I, I think it's it's so, you speak to that a lot, Matt. It's very powerful. Mm -hmm. I wanna add, yeah. I'm, I'm in no way advocating the willy-nilly recreational use of psychedelics because they are extremely powerful compounds. They can be intense and they can be incredible. So like Em said, definitely do <laughs> your research before hopping into any of these experiences. And there's so much information online and it's, it's amazing information. It's everywhere, but do tons of research before partaking in any, any one of those different substances and be aware of the set and setting, which is your mindset and the setting in which you're taking it. So be in a, in a safe space. Mm -hmm. Be in a place that you're familiar with and you're comfortable in. If you can be outside in nature, it's absolutely beautiful. And then make sure that you're in the right mindset for it. Make sure that you're in a, in a good mood and you're feeling confident. It, those are uh, the foundations of these kind of practices. And if you know anyone in your life that is familiar with these medicines, reach out to them hear their experience and and um i'm sure they would love to help guide you on your journey yeah exactly like for me personally matt already knows this and actually most of most of our audience members know this but i'm basically sober at this point in my life and i I don't really like to drink at all because I like to feel like myself. I don't like to take substances because I like to feel like myself. I'm very proud of feeling like myself right now because I spent a lot of time uh, using substances in my past in a way that was just reckless and it was a way for me to escape from reality in an unhealthy way. So now at this point in my life, I'm in a season where it feels really good to be sober and it feels good to just be myself and, and kind of marinate in reality. And if I leave reality of this 3D world, doing it in a way without substances. However, I am reaching the point in my, in my journey where I, I want to experience the healing side of psychedelics and the healing side of substances. So I'm not recommending this to anybody. This is just my experience. This is what feels good for me. You be on your experience with what feels good and right to you with the right research, the right people around you, etc. But for me, right now, I feel like I'm starting to open up to being able to have 
experiences with psychedelics in a really safe space in a controlled setting. I would have someone like Matt around me if I were to experience something like this, someone who is well-versed in these types of ceremonies, someone that takes it very seriously and someone that's super supportive that I feel expansive with and that I feel really happy around and that I feel very safe with. That is the setting that I would go into, right? So I think it's a good, yeah, it's all good things to keep in mind about. Matt, do you ever work with clients from a distance, like via Zoom? Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. We do plenty of, of I can do meditations, you know, over Zoom that are super helpful. It's always nice to be in person as well, because there's a certain energy that that carries, especially with the sounds that I'm creating in the space. But the effects are all the same and the meditations are powerful. You can listen to them on audio on my Instagram right now at Matea, M-A-T-T-E-Y-Y-A. I have a few of them on there that you can just take a listen to, but I also do privates and the privates are extremely helpful because we get to dive into you specifically. We get to dive into um, the things that you're working with actively in your life. And then there's this really important integration part afterwards where we talk about the things that we experienced mm -hmm. in the meditation. And it's kind of like a little therapy at the end where we're talking about our feelings. We're talking about the things we're working with. And before the meditation, we're doing those things too. So if anyone wants to reach out, you can reach out to me on Instagram, again, at M-A-T-T-E-Y-Y-A. And we can do some really profound work together no matter where you're at. Mm. It's, it's special stuff, you guys. So mm. if anyone is interested in expanding their meditation practice, I haven't seen anyone teach meditation in the way that I'm teaching. And mm. I think it's a really special thing. It's an accumulation of all of these different worldly practices wrapped up into one and there's something for everybody. If, if you're just experiencing meditation for the first time, knock your socks off. And for people who have experienced plenty of guided meditations and have had a practice for many years, I guarantee you, you'll sit down and go, wow, mm. haven't felt like this one a lot. I've, I've been, you know, teaching people who say like, I don't really even like guided meditations. I have my own practice that I do. And they sit down with me and go, whoa, mm -hmm. that was not what I expected whatsoever. And I think actually calling in meditations kind of puts them in a box because people have these preconceived ideas of what meditations are. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think of meditation as imagine yourself on a beach. <laughs> and I can't help but roll my eyes every time I hear uh, meditations like that because it's not about imagining ourselves somewhere else. It's about rooting down into the present moment right here, right now, and, and extracting that beauty, revealing the beauty all around us at every moment right now. And we can, we can step outside and just go take a look at a tree and revel in the beauty that that thing is growing out of the ground. Mm. It is so beautiful. We can be in the middle of Times Square in the chaos of it. And we could do a meditation right there and you'd realize how beautiful the human species is and the creativity that they have. There's every, it's like meditation is endless and it's so cool. There's so much to explore. So if you have any 
interest, I highly recommend uh, reaching out, DMing me on Insta, and that is going to be a best way to get in contact. Hell yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I would like to, before we close, I would like to share more about the experience that you took me on Mm -hmm. when we first met each other in person. And Matt mentioned this when we began this recording. He mentioned that we were out in the woods with each other for eight hours. And we were like, holy shit, it's eight, it's 7.30 PM right now. Mm -hmm. What, how did this happen? That was the day where we, Matt and I met in person and right away we were going to go on a hike together. He goes, do you want to take your shoes off and do this hike barefoot? And I was like, fuck yeah. I haven't done that before. I've been wanting to do a barefoot hike. Let's really connect with the earth. Let's do it. So that already was like first experience for me. And we're going through the woods barefoot. Matt is looking at all these different plants, trying to figure out which are edible using certain apps that he has to do that. We're being super present at the same time and connecting with the environment. Gorgeous. We go up on this hill and he kind of lays out a blanket. He has some instruments that he's using and tells me that we're going to do an eye gaze meditation. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like it sounds challenging already. It's hard for us to look in people's eyes. It is really. And for me, I've always tried to do that. I try to be present and I try to, I try to, it's the same reason why I want to really make sure to listen to people when I talk to them. I want to be present with them. I want to honor them. I feel like I've been very conscious about that throughout my life. However, it's still difficult because in our society, we're really taught to, okay, don't get too close to this person because you might open yourself up too much to them or they might hurt you or they might do something to you or take advantage of you. There's a lot of, and there, there are, sometimes you notice that it, it is important to protect yourself energetically. And I understand that. Uh, but for all of those reasons, I was like, oh, this might be really difficult to do. And this is the first time we're meeting in person. And he took me through, it was like an hour or something. I don't know. I, who even knows how long it was? Like no one's counting, right? It's just yeah. this whole time, time really kind of gets destroyed in this process because you're just in the fucking present moment. So for a long time, however long it was, Matt and I were staring in each other's eyes. I was looking at his left eye and he warned me that this was going to happen. He said, it's so interesting, all of the the effects that can take place when you're doing these eye gaze meditations. He said, sometimes you'll see the other person in all of their ages and you'll see them kind of transform and you'll see their, their eyes just turn into this other world. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I hope I can stay present enough to experience something like that. Guess what I did? It was incredible. Like it, it's like everything else around Matt kind of got got just just changed. And I don't, I don't want to be too specific because when, when anyone does this with him for their first time, I want you to have your own experience, but it was just incredible and psychedelic. I was sober while I was doing this and it was just, it was still so trippy. And I, I felt like I touched on so many different dimensions and universes and I was relaxed as fuck the whole time and super present are, I think, what, what was my um, intention? Because Matt asked me to have an intention. I think it was, oh, grounding and presence. And we, we so achieved that. He helped me to so achieve that and talked me through it. Afterwards, we talked about our experiences. It was so connective. I had never had 
an experience like that before. And he's right. He's so, it's so, he has so much integrity when he says that it's really like no other meditation practice. And it's a culmination. It's an individualized culmination of all the different experiences um, and learning opportunities that Matt has had into one session. It's really absolutely incredible and it'll just leave you feeling like oh my gosh I really did something for myself for my healing for just the connection with somebody else for nature it's so connective it was pretty great wasn't it it was yeah (laughs) it was wonderful I I love I love doing them because I go into that space every time I teach Mm -hmm. and I love working with new people Mm -hmm. because it always catches people by surprise so it's a really special practice. Plus you have these amazing eyes that are super <laughs> easy to look into. So that was definitely a joy as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a really special thing for people to kind of break away those, those barriers and, and find that aspect society's construction of these arbitrary rules that say, mm-hmm. you know, we can't look someone in the eye for more than four seconds. You mm-hmm. have to look away. Mm-hmm. And we really realize that once we start looking people in the eyes, we find that our communication actually goes up. Our, our levels of communication rise because people can absorb that information more effectively mm-hmm. when all of our focus is put into that person's soul, into their eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's amazing aspects of, patterns within that practice we start to note that the reflection in the eyes we see ourself reflected in the reflection of the eyes Mm -hmm. and when we notice our reflection Mm -hmm. within the eyes of the other person we notice that our reflection is reflected every time we look anyone into the eyes Mm -hmm. we were so present every single time we looked someone into the eyes we would see ourselves every single time and i think that is an incredible lesson that's hiding underneath all of our noses or in the back of our our Mm -hmm. the forefront of our eyes Mm -hmm. every time we really spend time with someone and we're vulnerable we will see ourselves in that person's eyes. So next time you lock eyes with anybody, even if it's just for a few seconds, see if you can catch a glimpse. Really look in. Uh, If you have a partner out there, if you are uh, in a relationship with somebody, I highly, highly recommend you sit together with your knees touching and just look each other in the eyes for 20 minutes. 20 minutes, you don't even have to say anything. Just look each other in the eyes for 20 minutes and sit and revel in the beauty of that person. And it's absolutely incredible. Also, if you are in that relationship and you guys are both eager, again, hit me up on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I would love to walk you guys through an eye gaze meditation. It will change your relationship forever. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. So, so true. And something I noticed when we had this experience together and so fucking cool that we get to be here today in person, staring into each other's eyes while we're saying this. It's Mm -hmm. so symbolic. And like, of course, the universe let that unfold for us. Super cool. So Matt Finelli, 
shaman, mystic, and master meditation teacher. Thank you for joining us here today. It was so much fun to hear your story and experience you. I'm so excited to communicate this to the world. Thank you. It has been an honor to talk with you. It has been an honor to be here, Em, and I'm so glad you're doing this podcast and putting all those positive vibes out in the world. Keep on tuning in because uh, you guys have found a special, special podcast mm -hmm. with a special woman. It was such a gift to be here. I'm so glad that we crossed paths. I hope you loved this interview with Matt Finelli, shaman, mystic, and master meditation teacher. I have all of Matt's contact information linked in the show notes. And if you did love this episode, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and review, share this podcast with your community. And if you would like to book 30-minute or 60-minute readings with me, head to the link in my bio on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening to book a reading. And if you are interested in one-to-one -one coaching, message me on Instagram or Facebook. We have all of those, all of the platforms that I am on linked in the show notes below. I am Emily Kosick, intuitive health coach and CEO of Root Awakening. Thank you all so much for listening to this interview, for listening to this podcast, for spreading the word about self-empowerment and natural health and spirituality. It's so important to the world. Thank you for doing this. I love you all. See you all on the next episode.